Okay, so you know I love good wordplay. And Third Love is crushing their wordplay here. When you have a bra that pinches or slips or just isn't comfortable at all or is comfortable but isn't your style, you've got problems. <laughs> How excited was Third Love when they thought of problems? Well done, Third Love. I see you. When you wear Third Love bras, you've got no problems. They fix the problem of size exclusivity with their famous half-cup sizes that revolutionized the industry by giving more options to find a bra that fits. And they fixed the problem of guessing what bra will fit you with their virtual fitting room and other helpful guides. A bra size chart, a bra 101 education section that's basically an FAQ for all your burning questions, and a ton of great reviews from real people. My sister just texted me, 99 problems, but pinching <laughs> isn't one. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code podcast15. Think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby, and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this, there is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddler's in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth and you won't have to worry about tearing. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. And because I'm mine, I walk the Welcome to We Can Do Hard Things. This is going to be the shortest introduction on earth because nobody wants to hear me talk when you know who's about to speak <laughs> on these very um, grounds we are on. I'm going to introduce you to, although who needs this introduction? We're going to do it anyway, to our friend, one of our favorite people on this little earth, and her name is Dr. Brene Brown. <laughs> Dr. Brene Brown is a research professor at the University of Houston, where she holds the Huffington Foundation Endowed Chair at the Graduate College of Social Work. She has spent the past two decades studying courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. She is the author of five number one New York Times bestsellers, which Abby actually five! asked me. She was like, wait, she, Brene, she goes, that's not right. This isn't right. Five! I was like, oh, no, 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 it's right. Five number one. It's correct. That's so weird. Okay. And is the host of the <laughs> weekly Spotify original podcast, Unlocking Us and Dare to Lead. So freaking good. So good. Brene's books have been translated into more than 30 languages and titles, including Dare to Lead, Braving the Wilderness, Rising Strong, Daring Greatly, and The Gifts of Imperfection. 
I love them all. Most recently, Brene collaborated with Tarana Burke oh. to co-edit You Are Your Best Thing, so Vulnerability, good. Shame, Resilience, and the Black Experience. So good. In her, Have we ever had so much to say about someone's no, introduction? I just, I, every single one, I'm like, yes, <laughs> We'd like yes. to comment on all the words. Okay. In her latest book, <laughs> Atlas of the Heart, which our entire team has spent the last weeks <laughs> with, Look at the she takes thing. us on a journey through 87 of the emotions and experiences that define what it means to be human. Brene lives in Houston, Texas with her husband, Steve. They have two children, Ellen and Charlie. Dr. Brene Brown, thanks for being you. Hi. Hello, hello. Okay, so we, this little team, have been talking about your book for the last weeks, okay? The new book. Atlas of the Heart, which is about to take the entire world by storm. I think it already has. I think before anyone got it, Mm -hmm. Amazon already named it number one or or on the top. (laughs) Like, have they even read it? No. Everyone's just like, here we go. (laughs) Brene put out a book. It's it's the best. (laughs) Number one. And they're always right. (laughs) Okay. So um, here's what I want to say about this book to start off with. I want you to tell me if I'm right about this. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. So start to finish read the whole thing many times. And in my own little brain, I'm trying to figure out why this is so freaking important. And so for me, I think, this is what I say to my sister the other day. I think for me, it's because, okay, if connection to other human beings is what heals us and gets us through, then the ability to understand, put language to, and communicate our internal emotional selves to each other is the only way that we will heal and get through because that is how we connect. And it's also the only really real way to be loved by anyone if being loved is truly about being seen Mm. and understood. We can only be seen and understood if we can put words to this wild thing that's constantly happening inside of ourselves. Dr. Brene Brown, is that right? Am I right? So this book... (laughs) Is a guide to defining our internal selves so that we can translate ourselves to the people we love into the world. Okay. Tell me if I'm right. That's if it. I'm not right, I'm just going to, I'm going to splice in something that says, yes, Glennon. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you nailed it. That's it. I mean, it is, that's it. It's like, I, I didn't know going into this book, first of all, oh God, this book was so freaking hard. It was just, it, I, I wasn't sure I was going to make it through this book, to be honest with you. And I think it is everything that you're describing. It is, how do we find our way back to ourselves and to each other? And how do we do it without language, without some kind of understanding of I love what you said, what this, this wild thing happening inside of us. Like we are not much to my dismay and the dismay of many other people. We are not cognitive thinking beings mm. who on occasion feel we are emotional beings. It defines who we are. Um, and it just, it, it was like every now and then when I was writing this, I, I got to this place where I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Like, what is happening here? Um, this is, it's like too big. It's too unwieldy. Mm. And so, yeah, it's, it's everything you said, Glennon. 
No splicing necessary. A plus Look at her. on the book report, Glennon. A plus on the book report. <laughs> Thank you. I Thank mean, you. yeah. Thank That's you. That's right. Sissy, yeah. you have um, had, I can't wait for Brene and, and sister to talk about this book because sister has had so many thoughts and feelings. So <laughs> I have had 87 emotions about 87. <laughs> this book. Yeah. You no, match me. I really feel so grateful to you because you're explaining it so well, but you're also so vulnerable in it at the same time. And I feel like um, you were sharing some about when growing up in your home was both full of intense love and also intense rage. And Glennon and I had a similar experience when we were growing up. And I really deeply resonated with your description of how kind of the unpredictability of that environment Mm. gave you this superpower that enabled you to meticulously read people's emotions. And I feel like I, that has also served me well as the kind of survival strategy works in the world because you can read people. But the flip side of that is also true that I can't turn off that high monitoring. So I feel like I'm always just like an anticipatory anxiety mode, just like high alert at all times. So when I was reading this, I got to the place where you talk about calm and you say Mm -hmm. that nothing is more important than getting a grip on your reactivity. My question is about that. It's how do we manage to use the superpower to be tuned in to people's emotions, but also not let it completely hijack our own emotional experience of really everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ooh, man, it, it, it was a superpower. It was a survival power. Um, because even I, I think I write in there and it was it to, for sure is the most personal I've ever been with kind of growing up and how things were hard. Um, and even when things were great, I mean, y'all know my sister, Barrett. And then I've got, she's got a twin, Ashley. And then I've got a, we've got a brother between us. And so I'm the oldest. And so even when things, and it's, it's a hard place to be because even when things were really fun and intensely fun, I was the protector in waiting. Mm. And I knew one, something is going to go sideways. One comment's not going to work. One joke is not going to be funny. And something's going to happen. And so at the same time, I'm kind of being made fun of for not jumping in all the fun. Mm. I'm also going to be the person when shit turns really fast, that's going to have to gather my siblings and get them out of the way. Wow. You know, and yeah. And so, so as I've worked through that, especially with my therapist, um, she's like, you know, you called it a superpower because you could read very quickly. Wow this is going to go bad in five to seven minutes. You know, um, she said, I would call it hypervigilance. Yeah. And she said, and boy, does that exact a price, you know, you are, yeah, you're always hypervigilant. Um, even if things are good, because the unpredictability growing up, is the really hard part. It's like, I, you know, that's the hard part about not being able to guess what the antecedent is. Like, what is the thing that's going to cause everything to, yep. to, to tumble? And so I think the work that I still do is, there's two things. So 
I think honestly, and this has been hard, and I think I was in the space writing the book, which made it really hard. I could cry maybe, but I think I've had to limit my time with people that demand that hypervigilance, including (sighs) people, including people I love. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first started seeing Diana, my therapist, um, I was, golly, I was 10 years sober and I'm 25 now. So 15 years ago. Um, and I, I was sober, but I was really leaning into food and work. And so I had just kind of given up some of the food stuff and I was really working on work. And I remember her, I remember saying to her, I need some medicine. Like I need some medicine because I got nothing now. I got nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I, I'm like a turtle in a briar patch and you took away my, my Bud Light and you took away my cigarettes, and now you've taken away the apple fritter, and now you've taken away the 70 hours of work. Like, I'm a, tur- I'm a turtle without a shell and a briar patch. Everywhere I turn, it hurts. I'm going to need something. And she goes, have you thought about getting out of the fucking briar patch? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. my gosh. Yeah. And I, and I was like... But is that the world? And she said, <laughs> it, 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 it can partly be the world, but it's also it's also your relationships, the family stuff, the worlds you create. And mm. so for me, there was a definition by John Kabat-Zinn that I came across when I was studying overwhelm that really, I think about it every day. He said that overwhelm was the feeling that life is unfolding at a rate that's unmanageable for me and my nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so really what I have found, you know, emotion is body. And so like like you, I think I how do I be calm but hypervigilant? Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can be. I think it becomes a safety issue. You know, I think it just becomes, I, you know, and it was funny because we had some really hard family shit going on. And it was the first time in my life because I was writing this book where I said, I, I can opt into this, but my nervous system can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't have that. In, I don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, it's such you know I mean? like, permission. It's such, it's like, it's not always the next strategy or the next. Mm-hmm you know, thing to cope. It's creating some, a life that create, that needs less coping Mm -hmm. (laughs) from us. I mean, it's, yeah, because there's shit that we cannot control, Mm -hmm. like the pandemics and white supremacy. And I mean, we can make changes, but we don't have a ton of control over it, but the stuff we can control, I think, where do I feel safe enough to be my best calm self? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. I love that. Pod Squad, we know about you. You, like us, pamper your pups with clothes, fluffy beds, toys all the days, any little thing their goodest hearts desires. 
Why then would we settle for burnt, smelly pellets in their dog dishes? Maybe you don't. Maybe you go with the farmer's dog like I do for Seamus, and you reap the benefits of giving your dog real, fresh, healthy food. It looks like real food because it is real food. It's made with human-grade kitchens with the same gentle cooking you'd use if you were preparing meals for your family. It's even fun signing up. You answer questions about your dog, like what health issues they might have, how old they are, what breed and personality they have, and more. You're not only getting fresh pre-portioned food, you're getting fresh pre-portioned food for your specific dog. And your dog may just have a newfound respect for their human Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at www.thefarmersdog.com slash hard things. Food made in human-grade kitchens with the same gentle cooking you'd use if you were preparing meals for your family. Maybe more. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at www.thefarmersdog.com slash hard things things. To go back to what you said about the overwhelm, um, we did an an entire podcast on overwhelm and it's a topic of conversation in my family for a lot of reasons. And I think you did an extraordinary job in this book to define overwhelm. You said, I mean, I think that it's so important to me because I don't necessarily get overwhelmed, but I live with people that get overwhelmed. <laughs> and your definition of overwhelmed it just blew my mind. You said uh, you define it as relating to our perception of how we are coping with our situation, not how we are actually coping, but our perception of how we are coping, whether we can handle it. For me, I'm like, okay, wow, that is mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. And it makes me remember the story you told in this book about I'm blown. Can you please tell the story of I'm blown? Mm. Because we actually just walk around our house now. I'm blown. Brunette, 30 <laughs> times blown. a day. I'm I'm the, the, the boy who cried, I'm blown. And now no one's going to listen to me anymore. <laughs> tell, you have to tell the story, please. Do you know what's so weird? Glennon, that you said that I gave a talk last night. It's the first time I've been like in front of an audience since, you know, a year and a half. And I actually talked about the boy who cried wolf <gasps> related to overwhelm. It's so weird that you say that. Well, first of all, let me just start by saying this, that there's a power of language. So this was new to me and I've stayed in emotion for 20 years. Like, but we just didn't have until probably the last five or seven, maybe maybe 10, but really five or seven years, like the fMRIs and the PET imaging to understand that language doesn't just communicate emotion. It shapes emotion. Mm-hmm. So if I said, you know, if I said, hey, Glennon, can you make me um, those great chocolate chip cookies that you make? And you get out your bowl and you put in, I've never made chocolate chip cookies in my (laughs) life, but like, I don't know, flour, I guess, and chocolate chips and shit, like eggs and milk and whatever. Butter. Butter, butter. Anything good has butter. Um, What if I told you that the cookies tasted differently, radically differently, depending on what bowl you used? Hmm. Like we think of language just like as a carrier of things, but Mm. it doesn't, it shapes things. And so, Mm. 
So the story about being blown and being in the weeds is really just waiting tables, bartending for, you know, six, seven years, all the way through college and graduate school. And when it was busy, we'd get in the weeds, and I, you know, and I'd be in the weeds. And I'd be like, I'd come in through the kitchen door and I'd be like, shit, Abby, can you take teas to three and four? Glennon, can you rebread seven? Amanda, can you pull a ticket for me for seven? Where's, I don't know where their Greek salad is. You know, like that's, that's, that's in the weeds. It's things are getting hard. There are obstacles for moving through. I need to take a breath, but I'm, I'm on top of it, but it's, it's, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, it's a funny story, actually, every now and then someone would walk in the kitchen and just say, I'm blown. And it only happened to me twice in a, you know, in a six or seven year career. And this is a hard, the Papa's restaurants in Texas, Papado, Papacitos, they're serious. Like, <laughs> Like they have scarred me deeply because, you know, still today, <laughs> if I walk in the kitchen and Steve's like kind of leaning there talking to Charlie, I'm like, hey, you got time to lean. You got time to clean. Or I'll, I'll walk. Glennon, you would like be like, what's happening? Um, <laughs> no, I know what you're saying because this one will forget the stage of life she's in. And she will turn around to me in an airport and say, hustle, let's hustle. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not the soccer. Yeah. <laughs> we don't tell each other to hustle. Right. So Same. Yikes. I'm with you. We we don't. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Make Renee. We thank do you. not tell each other to hustle. Oh my God. My favorite line in the airport is, hey folks, walk with purpose. Yes. Let's walk with purpose. <laughs> let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Um, so when I, if I go into the kitchen and I'm like, I'm blown. It's really weird because what happens is the rule, if you're blown, is you have to leave the floor of the kitchen and the restaurant for at least 10 or 15 minutes. So what will happen is Amanda will go, okay, she'll go up and get my table numbers from the hostess stand, not even assuming I can tell you what tables I have or what section I have. So Abby's the kitchen manager because you would be, of course, it's a high stress. get it done job. So Abby starts pulling all the table numbers once she knows what they are. And then they just take over. So overwhelmed is a very intense amount of stress where actually you can no longer function in it. What's interesting is the only real empirically based solution to overwhelm is nothingness. Mm. Mm. Hmm. That's what I'm talking about. I knew this all along. Say more things about that. I knew this all along. I knew from the the time I was born, nothingness was the cure. (laughs) I'm going to have my uh, Glennon and Abby Atlas score sheet. Glennon nails the uh, the overview and Abby, Abby knew overwhelm from the very beginning. Okay. Amanda, I just have you in the healthy, we'll do therapy together call. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Um, no, so it's so funny because actually these Papado managers through just trial and error knew what to do. They knew you had to leave. So back then, actually, we'd go behind the restaurant and smoke a cigarette. You know, yes, that's of what course. we would do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nothingness. And so one time... When I was overwhelmed, they kind of took over. I went to the cooler for five minutes and I went to the back of the restaurant, smoked a cigarette. One time it was toward the end of the shift. It was the only other time I was blown. And I was working a triple, which was lunch, light lunch, and dinner because the tuition was due at UT. And I said, I walked in the kitchen and they're like, 
you're, like move, you're in the way. And I was like, you know, cause it's people hustling, mm-hmm. carrying big trays. And I was like, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm blown. And they said, okay, grab our stuff. And they got my stuff and they said, listen, just go home, give us all your money and we'll check you out. The headway will check you out. And I said, okay. So instead of doing nothing, I got in my car. Well, because it was the end of the night, I had already started marrying the Tabascos and ketchups, like putting them together and filling them up. So I'm driving my car. I light a cigarette. <gasps> I rub my eye. Oh, shit. No. I get Tabasco in my eye. I can't see out of this eye. I drop my cigarettes and we had to wear these polyester skirts. So it catches on fire no, and no. just starts, yeah, just starts burning like an 80s girl with a cigarette at a rock concert. Like when you used to light well. the thing and be like this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it just starts burning a hole. Then it catches on my tights. And then I can't see. So I, I and, and you know, and I, I do this with the other eye. I can't see out of both eyes. I jump the curb and end up almost getting to a really terrible wreck. And I always think about that now. This is what I've learned from this research. One, I got to freaking stop saying I'm overwhelmed when I'm not overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Damn it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because neurobiologically, my body goes, okay, life's happening too fast. We're out of control now. Mm. So I need to, when I'm overwhelmed, I, my commitment to myself now is if I use that language, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and go outside for 10 or 15 minutes. Mm. Wow. So, mm-hmm. cause your body says, oh, we know what to do. We're shutting down. Yeah. And if you can tell people what you need, you're probably not overwhelmed. Mm. Yeah. Have you ever had that thing where like, I would say to Steve, oh, okay. Fuck. I'm completely overwhelmed. Okay. Make me a list. And I'm like, dude, if I could make you a list, that would not be overwhelmed. Like Mm -hmm. I I need you to take, like, take the wheel. Yes. Yes. You know, that's the power of language. Mm -hmm. It is interesting empirical research in the book too. Anxiety and excitement present exactly the same neurophysiologically. Mm -hmm. In studies, people who labeled it excitement had positive experiences. Those who labeled it as anxiety had negative experiences. Mm -hmm. That's very much the difference between Glennon and I. Well, I feel that we have (laughs) married the two ideas. So now instead of saying I'm anxious or I'm scared about big things that are coming up, we say I'm skited. Yeah. Oh, half scared, yeah, so good. half fixed. That's the butterflies, right? That's the like, okay, this yeah. is new and I'm, but it's a good one. I'm going to keep going because I want the thing afterwards. So I'm going to keep going. It's not fear, the gift of fear, which is telling me stop. It's right. the butterflies, which are telling me go. So skited is where we land. I love it. Okay. Let me just stop you here and say, this is, this is a working example of the importance of language. So this German philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein says the la- the limits of my language are the limits of my world. So mm-hmm. why did you make up that word? To talk to the kids. Everything is all it's like because I one of them had to do something new at school was it the spelling bee? It something, was something like yeah. that. And she was saying I'm too scared, I'm too scared. And so we started talking through what that feeling was inside. Did she actually even want to do the spelling bee? Yes. I do want to be a part of the spelling bee. So then, well, if you want the thing afterwards, then what is this? This thing that's happening inside of us. It's saying this thing is new. Um, It's out of my comfort zone, 
but it feels like a good thing. It doesn't feel like a, a thing that that is scaring me to stop. It's, yeah. it's it's scaring me to go. It doesn't have to be either or. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be scared or excited. You can be both. Right, right. And both. Yes. And that's exactly why language matters so much. Mm-hmm. So now your kids, and now after this podcast, my kids will have a word <laughs> for, this is what courage feels like. It's skited. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it's Yeah, it's like, but we make up those words because language gives us a neurobiological handle on what feels too amorphous and gauzy to grab. Yes. Good. And what you're doing, because actually when you think about it, that word having the, and we have a lot of invented words in our family actually, Yeah, but it, it helps me know them better. Yeah. Because yes. when they're saying, I'm skited about this, Tish is going to play guitar last night or something. I know they want that thing. I know that they're not signaling to me, mommy, this is too much for me, which is I'm scared or I'm uncomfortable or I'm, it's a signal to me. I'm about to do something hard and I need your encouragement because I'm feeling really vulnerable, but I don't want you to talk me out of the thing. It's really good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the power. I mean, it's like why we make up things like hangry or, you know, yes. you know, it's like we need language. Yeah. Brutiful. Brutiful is a word Bru- we say oh, all the time. God, yes. This is something like, it's like saying goodbye to someone you love. It's both. It's, it's the and both of this is so painful and so important to my human experience that I wouldn't change it for anything. Yeah. Right. Language, language matters. Pod Squad, some of what we share with you on the show are our individual unique experiences in therapy and the takeaways that help us grow, appreciate each other, and navigate this beautiful life we're doing together. Thank you for doing it with us. But the things we talk about in therapy itself, these are things we wouldn't necessarily share with just anyone. I think there are a few things more important than finding the right person to share your deepest thoughts, feelings, and questions with like a therapist. That's why we are thrilled about Alma's support of our show. They're big believers that you need the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. Alma helps you to find a therapist who gets you based on your needs, someone with whom you'll feel comfortable, heard, secure. Plus, and this shouldn't be overlooked, over 96% of therapists at Alma accept insurance because you want to pick someone based on the right fit, not just based on finances. You can browse their directory now. You don't even need to create an account. Visit helloalma.com slash hard things to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash hard things. Okay, so I want to talk about this thing, this part about belonging, which you're the most brilliant person on earth teaching us about how important belonging is. But in this book, I felt like there was a whole new part for me. Um, So in it, you talk about a time you asked a a large group of eighth graders to come up with their experiences of belonging and not belonging. Okay, and I expected, these are eighth graders, Mm -hmm. the majority of of their responses to be about the pressure of middle school peers. But the majority were about their parents' reactions to them 
seeming not to fit in, right? So they said not belonging feels like not being as cool or as popular as your parents want you to be. Not being good at the same things your parents are good at. Your parents being embarrassed because you don't have enough friends. And while I'm reading this, it struck me, holy shit, we are so desperate to make sure our kids don't experience the trauma of not belonging, that we are in fact the ones that are giving them that experience. Unreal. So in Braving the Wilderness, you talked about not making the drill team at your school and said that became the day I no longer belonged in my family. I tried out for cheerleading five times, Brittany Brown. <laughs> she Never didn't get the memo. Five times. I wanted, I wanted that uniform of belonging so bad. I just wanted mm, God, someone to just too. put on something that would say I belonged. So, but no. Okay. So how do we as parents release our people from this kind of manufactured pressure to belong mm. so that they actually can feel like they belong mm-hmm. <laughs> in our families. Yeah. I think it's as simple and hard, as hard as I see you, I love you and you will always belong here. Mm-hmm. It is as simple and hard as doing your own work so you're not working your shit out on your kids. Dang. Yeah, I mean, and it is, you know, the hardest thing about raising a middle schooler is the unhealed, sweaty seventh grader inside of us. Yes. Who's got the tray in their hand and doesn't smell quite right and doesn't know where they're going to sit. And we so desperately don't want that for our own children. And that thing is so still raw that we almost can't take it if we have to watch it unfold again, mm-hmm. mm. you know, and say, you know, I, I want to tell you, let me think about this for a second. So one of my kids, I'm just trying to think about how to do it in a mindful way with mm-hmm. boundaries with my kids, but mm-hmm. one of my kids experienced a, you know, a not getting into something recently. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard. And I was prepping for it because we, we had to tell them and I was prepping for (sighs) it. I get really, you know, Steve's superpower is calm. It's just how he's wired, but it's also kind of the pediatrician, you know, thing. And so I'm like, okay, so how bad is it going to be? Like how, how, how hard, how hurt, like, can you give me? And I said, and he's like, I think it's going to be okay. I think, you know, this is, you know, I think it's this. And I said, fuck, is this going to be like the bear cadets? And he said, he said, no, 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 no. We're not even near bear cadet level. And I said, okay. And so then he went upstairs and I was doing something and he came down like five minutes later and he was teary eyed. And I was like, but first I was like, shit, it's going to be like the bear cadets. I was like, what's going on? And he said, it will never be like that for our kids because we aren't those parents. Oh my God. You know? And so All I needed in that moment was really for one of my parents to say, fuck that drill team. Yes. Mm, Yes. You know what I mean? And God, that sucks. But, and I had no idea at the time that like, 
I had no idea of their trauma and their history at the time. I just had like the grease version in my mind, captain of the football team, head of the drill team, you know, like it was, it was a movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't know like head of the football, you know, captain of the football team to work out rage after his father's death and head of the drill team to overcompensate for an alcoholic mother. And no one was allowed to go to their house because my grandmother was an alcoholic. And back then the only women in A were bringing coffee to the men in AA, mm-hmm. you know? And so I didn't know that part of it. So all I thought, and so when I got in the back of the station wagon, first of all, I went up to the numbers and it was like you wore a number when you tried out. Oh, I'll never forget the song either. Boo. I know my song. Um, <laughs> yeah, just boo. Um, <laughs> and I remember looking, I was number 62 and I was like, 58, 60, 64. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then I remember this a girl named Chris, who everyone wanted to be a girl named Chris back then. Cause like you wanted a Charlie Angel's name or a boy name. Mm-hmm. And a, girl named Chris runs up and she's like, yes. And then her dad leaped out of her car, his car and ran toward her and grabbed her and twirled in the air with her. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I remember just walking back to the car and getting in the back seat and Ashley and Barrett were in the back, back of the station wagon. It was me and my brother, my mom and my dad. And I just cried with my head in my hands and we just drove off and nothing was ever spoken about it again. Oh wow. my. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that reminds me in your, in the book, you say that the center will hold if, and only if we can feel the edges. and. That, like, I I was until this moment thinking about that as like, that's our boundaries with other people. You know, if we have a solid ground under us and we know where we end and when someone else begins, we can love them without shaking our core. Mm. But it's, but that's with our kids, right? Like only yes. if we can accept our edges mm. are not their edges. Mm. They're not their edges. Mm. they're not their edges. Yeah. And their edges are force us out into really shaky ground sometime, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. I remember my therapist saying, you know, I said something about, you know, Ellen was talkative. Ellen would come home from school. You know, she's 22 now. She's in graduate school. She would come home from school and she'd say, okay, this has happened. And then, you know, the drop, you know, and then like an hour later, we'd be at first period. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a hostage. It's yeah. a hostage situation. It's if- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and I was like, yes. Yeah. And we still, I'm like, give me tea. I'll be asleep when you get home tonight, but then I'll see the tea when I wake up in the morning. Um, <sighs> you know, and then with Charlie, good. Mm. Mm. No, no, no. Like, how was it? Good. Fine. Mm-hmm. And so I tell my therapist, I'm like, this is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she says, say more. And I said, he's not giving me enough information for me to shine. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, what do you mean? And I said, I, have the, I don't have enough information. He's not telling me what I need in order for me to, I, you know, I have all the words and I have all the relationship information and I have like, I wonder if you're making up a story and I need more. I, you know, <laughs> this is not working at all for me. 
He is underutilizing this resource that is here. Yes, this is yeah. So good. And 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 I am not able to be my best self with yeah. him. <laughs> Obsessed. You know, and she, yeah, and We're she was just like big time. I'm stealing. Yeah, this she. So much. Yeah, she was we just have like one that makes me feel that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Do you? Yes, yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We sure do. We have one that at one point, when I demanded that they talk about their feelings, said to me, "I do not know where they are." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah, and then I realized, wow, she's like. I think you just let him be him and you worry about shining on your own terms. You don't get to, you know, he, he's not responsible for your shine. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay. Okay. Right. You worry right. about shining on your own terms. Okay. Yeah. So not a sermon, just a thought. <laughs> <laughs> the story of not making that oh, God. team has given you, I think quite a bit of, story now and oh god it's not for nothing and i Mm-mm. just want to say like some of the stuff for glennon that she had to like struggle through has given her a little bit of positive stuff in her adulthood it's I true just, material just, for material days. material and i i do i do want to just make one slight confession but then i don't want to talk about it i just want to say the thing and then, and then i want to move go on to the next thing okay okay, okay. When you were talking, I just remembered, and sister, I've never even freaking told you this, but I one time came home from high school and told mom and dad that I had been um, up for, voted up for the superlative of most popular and most likely to succeed, (laughs) but that was not true. And I don't want to talk about it, but I just want to say, uh, we will think later. about what kind of poor child is trying to convince her parents that she is like something at school that she's not. That's and good. why is that so important? Why did I think that was so important? Do you want to talk about it? my parents thought I was cool. Next. Okay. So here I have to ask you this. This is a, a huge topic of conversation in my family right now. Um, In our house, we can't stop talking about this idea of what is enough. And you know this, Brene, we've talked a lot about the scarcity mentality with my book, Wolfpack. And I come from that mindset and that place of scarcity, women's sports. You know, Glennon, when offers are made to me, it's impossible for me to say no. And since Untame has come out, things get offered to Glennon and she says no a lot. And I, that makes me feel anxious because of my scarcity stuff. I know that's my stuff, my problems. However, she sees it as a, as a way or, or people not having defined what enough means to them. And because of your success and because you are at the top of your game and are always just, we just love and idolize you. I wonder how you decide what is enough and how you define it. In and fact. contentment. Right. Because like you spoke about it in your book. Which is so freaking good. I mean, how do you just define what you're content? I just what? want to show what? everyone Brene's face right now when you said contentment. <laughs> that's like, that's the face that I feel in my heart when people say, it's fine. It's just like, I'm allergic at every level to what's happening right now. <laughs> yes. Um. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know what's enough. I mean, mm. I only can tell you what's too much with a side dish of rage and resentment. Mm. Dang. Good stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, I really, yeah, I can't. Um. Wow. I'm. I say no. Like, so first of all, I say no. Like, I interviewed James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits, and mm. that book is really powerful. And one of his quotes is literally on a sticky note everywhere I walk that says, "We will never rise to the level of our goals. We will fall to the level of our systems." Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. I have systems in place where I don't even see 90% of the stuff I say no to. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I have a system in place that controls my scarcity stuff mm-hmm. and my shame stuff and my holy shit, if I say no, they're going to stop asking stuff mm-hmm. and my who do you think you are stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm really comfortable with that. And I, and I, and I feel good about myself for putting those systems in place. This is not my my idea, but I'm working on this right now. And I met with a business coach and I don't think, I don't know that he'd be comfortable with me sharing who he is, but I was working with a business coach and we were talking, he said, you're going to have more opportunities and you've got time just based on how old you are in my fifties. Um, and he said, what do you want? And I described kind of what I wanted and he goes, that's not going to work. And I said, why? And he said, because you want all control and no accountability. Ooh. And I said, well, yes, that's true. <laughs> that's what um, I said. That's exactly yeah, what I that's want. What I, but then he said, he gave me this piece of advice that has really been, I, I'm, I'm processing it. I'm in it right now. I don't have any report back to you. He said, your problem, I actually told him, my problem is discernment mm-hmm. and fear about what's enough. I have a discernment problem. And he said, I want you to change the way you think about every opportunity into this question. What do you want to be held accountable for? Wow. So now when I get asked to do something, I say to myself, do I want to be held accountable for that? Fuck no. I do not Mm. want to be held accountable for that. Mm. Do you want to be held accountable for this? Yes. Like I'll be held accountable for that. Um, And so, you know, and for me, it, it may be just personalized advice, but, you know, he said, you're a magnet for accountability because of your platform and because I have a lot of visibility. And he said, but I would imagine you were that way when you were four. Oh, well, think yeah, about you true. with your sisters and brother. You were accountable yeah. Oh, yeah. for the environment, the atmosphere. Yes. The, yeah. This has been your who you have been since birth, probably. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so the thing for me now is, A, what do I want to be held accountable for? That drives my yes or no. And B, do I want to do it? Is there joy in it? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to prove I can do it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of language, right? When you yes, think of yes. something as an opportunity, you're like, I want all the opportunities. Give me all the opportunities. <laughs> but when you really drill down and say, no, this this thing that is coming is something for which I will be responsible and accountable and name it that way. It's like the bowl with the cookies. Amen. It, it changes your whole experience. the cookies. Mm-hmm. It, it does because it's the question is, Hey, there's this great opportunity. We really think we can scale your work and we could do this and we could start this. And then we're going to, you know, I'm, I'm sure something that y'all both heard a million times, you know, we can scale. Oh my God. We this, can bring if it I here, hear we scale can... again, if I hear the word scale yeah. again, I swear. Yeah. 
we can scale, we can bring your work here and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, yes. What will I be held accountable for? Well, you know, we'll need to hire a team of engineers and everything from password resets to customer survey. I I don't want to be held accountable for any of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, who would you like to be held accountable for it? Well, anybody but me. Well, there's no one else. Oh, then I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And that is beautiful. I mean, we are going into the holidays. We are going into a new year, reframing things that we feel like things are happening to us all the time and around us. And to be able to, to make commitments out in the world, invitations, and to say, I don't want to be accountable for that. I will mm-hmm. be accountable for coaching my daughter. I want, I, I, that's something I want to do, but I will not be accountable for signing up for whatever the heck I feel pressured into. Mm-hmm. Yes. Cause I want to be held accountable for my ass on the stadium seat, every water polo match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hold me accountable for that. Mm-hmm. Like oh. I'm that, I'm that person with the, like, I'm the person with the neck and the ball side, ball side, weak, <laughs> weak. You know that like you got yeah. time to lean, you got time to swim. <laughs> Brene, you and my sister, I just my Same. sister has sent me videos oh of her daughter's lacrosse games where I have said to Abby, who is this freaking who's they yelling? They need to not let this person who's in who's yelling? on this video. Who's yelling? This I'm like, that's your sister. Your and Abby's always yelling. like, it's her again. It's her. <laughs> your sister's the one that's yelling. Screaming. That's not- Positivity, but just the intensity. Intensity. So many things in our lives change, but not our love for Viore clothing. I love this ad. We're so glad that they continue to support the show. It's true. Abby is obsessed with Viore. I am a little bit too. Do you think you have a favorite item? Ugh, they're t-shirts. They never get less soft. They're just perfect for everything, for going to dinner, for actively going for a walk, for working out, whatever you want to do. They're the I, best. Sleep actually, in them. You you wear them to work out and you wear them out to dinner. That is true. I wear Viore tops all day, every and day. And you wear them under suits and you wear them yes. to bed. It's everything. Okay. I mean, I love them, but it's not easy to find clothes that look sleek and feel comfortable. I mean, I can use them everywhere and anywhere I go. Viori is an investment in your happiness. I promise you. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase, plus free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com slash hard things. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hard things. You won't be sorry. Okay, Dr. Brene Brown, our next right thing is without a doubt going to be to get this incredible book that I feel like could be like a family Bible too. Like a family where people sit and go through it with their kids like we are doing with our little ones who are big now because I think it will help us know each other better and communicate with each other better, which I can't imagine a better thing that you could do that you could be more accountable for in your life than actually giving people the language to strengthen their bonds and understanding of each other. It's so beautiful. And then also in addition to going to get Atlas of the Heart yesterday, can you give us a next right thing that we can do in terms of our language just right now this week to help us be seen and, and see our people a little bit better? Like if we're tired, if we're just tired and we just want like a little easy thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A a tired, easy thing. (laughs) When we see someone in struggle, reframe, 
I'm here to fix to I'm here to walk with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's so for, me, for me. Yeah. It's like when I, you know, this framework for meaningful connection that's in the back, I've been working on it since my dissertation. So 22 years. And I came across this concept of near enemy. It's a Buddhist concept, mm. which you know, there's there's the opposite of things, like the opposite of compassion, the far enemy is cruelty. But what we better really watch and what's more likely to unravel connection every single time is not the far enemy of the virtue that we're seeking to you know show up in. It's the near enemy. So the near enemy of compassion is pity. So to me, it was a really big breakthrough that I believe, and I'm putting forward now, and I think researchers will come back and behind me and test, but I think the near enemy of connection is control. Mm. And when I see my kids suffering and they say this happened at school and it was so painful and I jump in to fix it rather than sitting in the pain with them. I have severed connection for the sake of control. And it's not Machiavellian control, but I'm trying to control hurt. I'm trying to control my own discomfort, their discomfort, my pain, their pain. And so I would just say the easy thing we can do, it's not easy, but the small thing is when we see someone struggling, especially someone we care about, my job is to be in connection with, not to fix. Mm. There you go. You heard it from Dr. Brene Brown. And when we hear it from Dr. Brene Brown, we just <laughs> effing do it. Just okay? do it. So do it when life gets hard this week. Don't fix it. Just walk with it. Yeah. And we'll see you back here in two days with more Dr. Brene Brown. We love you. Bye-bye. I give you Tish Melton and Brandy Carlisle. I walked through fire, I came out the other side I chased desire, I made sure I got what's mine And I continued to
is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really liked it. If you didn't, don't worry about it. 